welcome back to another episode of That's My Personal Business. I'm Eden. I'm your host. If you don't know me, if you're new here, I'm Eden Strader. I'm a destination wedding photographer turned educator, and I love helping creative entrepreneurs live a life of creative wealth and freedom. And I'm so excited to have you guys here. It is always lovely having new people here on the podcast. So welcome. If you've been here the entire time, a while, welcome back. I'm so excited to have you. It is you guys, how is it almost December? November has been, I swear it was Halloween two seconds ago, and I cannot even wrap my brain around the fact that it is almost December and therefore 2022. The fact that I even have to start saying 2022 is insane because I know I'm not alone in the fact that it still feels like it's 2019 or at least March of 2020. And yeah, I just don't know how emotionally prepared I am for that. And combined with the fact that the sun is setting at 4.30 here in New York City is a lot to process. So, you know, we'll make it through. It's fine. Everything's going great. But how are you guys? Let's talk about what is working and what is not. Not going to lie to you. We are very much still getting into the groove of things here. I've officially been here for three weeks and I feel like I am now starting to feel like I'm getting into a semblance of a routine and it has been low-key months since I have had any sense of normalcy. So, That is both what's not working and what is working. I'm just really happy to finally start having a routine again. I've been working out finally. Um, I got this bug that's been going around New York City, and so I was down for a few weeks too. Um, Not COVID. We took three whole tests out of anxiety. All negative. Thank God. Um, But yeah, so just trying to get back into a routine and take care of myself and get myself in a good state to dive back into work. Um, We are building some really exciting new funnels for you guys. Um, some new freebies, which I'm super excited about. We're prepping for becoming one-on-one coaching to launch at the new year. What else is new? I'm like trying to think of what else is new for you guys. Um, It's Black Friday. When you're listening to this, Black Friday is this week. Thanksgiving is this week. I'm super excited. I'm going to be sharing some of my favorite Thanksgiving and gratitude rituals on Instagram. Um, But Black Friday, you guys will be the first to hear what the Black Friday deals are and you get early access. So let me tell you what is going on. For you photographers, the presets are on sale for $88 instead of $111. A bunch of new presets just got added to the pack, three whole new ones, which I'm so excited about. We updated it with a reception-specific preset that I'm obsessed with that kind of has more of a disposable film look. And then we added an even more extreme harsh light, split light preset. And then we added another blue hour preset. So you don't even you have to do even less tweaking now. There's even more options for you to just one click, which is great. So Presets are on sale for $88. Harsh Light is on sale for $150 instead of $350, which usually doors are closed for that course, but we are reopening them for Black Friday and the course is on mega sale. And then there is 20% off everything else using code Black Friday. All caps, no spaces. So if you guys have been eyeing something, If you've been eyeing any of the photography courses that are getting their doors closed in a month, now is the time to grab them. You can use code Black Friday for 20% off and you guys can use this all week. We're not going to be announcing it till Friday, but you guys get first access always because I love you and I'm just happy that you're here on the podcast. So that's what's new. That's what's happening for Black Friday. I am 
trying to think if there's anything else new to update you guys on. Not really. We're just still adjusting to being here in New York, kind of getting into the swing of things, developing some sense of normalcy. Um, I'm staying here for the holidays, which will be fun. So yeah, that's what's new. I hope you guys have the best Thanksgiving and I hope you're taking care of yourselves. I hope you're grateful for all the good things you've got. And yeah, that's that's the whole intro for today's episode. So today we are talking about, you know, everyone's favorite thing that most of us do, which is self-sabotage. And I happen to be, not to brag, but a little bit of an expert with self-sabotage, you know, keeping it humble. I'm really good at it, you guys, like obnoxiously good. And so this is something that I have had to work on a lot to kind of analyze my behaviors to see if I'm avoiding something or doing something because it's not a good idea for me or if I'm just self-sabotaging. And eight times out of 10, I'm just self-sabotaging. So this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because it is something that all of us tend to do because we love being comfortable. Our brains don't really know the difference between good and bad. They just know what's comfy. And so it's super natural for our brains when we're trying to do a big shift or we're trying to grow or we're trying to pivot for our brains to be like, ooh, no, like this is really uncomfortable and I'd rather not. And so then we self we start self-sabotaging. So I'm going to define it for you first, bef- a la psychology today, before we dive into everything so that you can have a better explanation than I am able to give you. So behavior that is said to be self-sabotaging when it creates problems in daily life and interferes with longstanding goals. The most common self-sabotaging behaviors include procrastination, hey self-medication, comfort eating, self-injury, um... People aren't always aware that they're self-sabotaging themselves and connecting a behavior to self-defeating consequences is no guarantee that a person will disengage from it. Still, it is possible to overcome almost any form of self-sabotage. Behavioral therapies can aid in interrupting ingrained patterns of thought and action while strengthening deliberation and self-regulation. So, self-sabotage. It can obviously, there are a wide range of ways to do it and ways that it shows up. But today we're going to be talking about personally and in business because those are the things that we love talking about on That's My Personal Business. And so self-sabotage comes in when usually subconsciously our brains just want to stay comfy more than they like the possibility of being happier and growing and trying new things and potentially getting everything we've ever dreamed of. And that's what's really hard is because we are battling with something so deeply ingrained in us that we might not even notice it's happening. And I feel like that's how it was in my early 20s. I like didn't even know what I was doing until now I can like catch myself doing it. I know my tendencies well enough to once I start doing it being like, okay, that might be a little self-sabotage. Like that might be me preventing something because here's the thing with growing and shifting in our lives. There's usually a risk involved. Getting into a new relationship, there's a risk involved. Our feelings are going to get hurt. Trusting someone with something, a piece of information or our heart or our energy, there's a risk that we're going to get hurt there. Taking a new business leap or venture, there's a possibility it'll fail. Investing in a coach or education, there's a possibility it might not pay off, right? So there's always going to be some sort of risk involved. And our self-sabotage really comes in when we... We'd rather just not even try 
than potentially succeed, right? We'd rather stay comfy. We'd rather not deal with the potential of it not working out. Sometimes we don't even want to deal with the potential of it actually working out because sometimes we set goals that if they do work out, they're going to change our lives completely and our brains know that. And so our subconscious is like, ooh, I'd rather not change around my entire life, right? If you wanted to triple your income next year, that is going to require a lot of change to make it happen. And then once it happens, that's also going to require probably a lot of change and pivoting. And your brain might be like, no, thank you. I'd I'd rather not. Like I know what we're doing right now and I would rather just stick with that. And that's when the self-sabotage comes in. That's when we start procrastinating. That's when we start, you know, backing out of things that we know would be good for us. That's when we start putting ourselves down. That's why we start sabotaging relationships, right? Or I mean, we can get into things as heavy as like addiction and medication, but we're not going to do that on the podcast. So self-sabotage can show up in a variety of ways and in a variety of extremities. So whether you're doing it really intensely, like I'm like, I, I, (laughs) the place that I tend to self-sabotage the most is definitely in relationships. Um, but also honestly, sometimes with my job and not in a destructive way, but in an extreme procrastination way where if I know something is going to be really huge for my business, I've noticed I tend to be like, "Eh, let's just stick to what we know and we'll deal with that in a little bit. And I get really, really procrastinating. So we are going to be reading a little snippet from 101 essays that will change your life or nope that is not the title 101 essays that will change the way you think by brianna weiss and we've done a whole podcast episode on this actually it is one of the top podcast episodes we have ever had so if you haven't listened to that before we dive into some of my favorite articles from this book because there's obviously 101 um, as well as some thoughts that you guys sent in so go listen to that episode if you want to dive in more but she has one it's number 10 if you have the book called breaking your upper limit and how people People who hold themselves back from real happiness, which is she comes straight for your throat, right? So we're going to read through some of this to kind of work through self-sabotage, how it shows up and what we need to be doing. So let's first say, and you guys know I love talking about this um, based on the book Happier um, by Tal Ben-Shahar. This is one of my favorite books and he talks about how happy is like kind of a unattainable construct that we think it's just going to be the surge of emotion and we're going to be really happy and nothing's going to matter when in reality what we should be doing with our lives is trying to get happier and happier and not attain this ridiculous concept of happy like overall general happy because that's so different for everyone and it's ever-changing and it's a feeling but to instead approach our lives as being like I want to get happier and happier I actually have a happier tattoo to remind me of this but um it's one of my favorite concepts and so as we go into self-sabotage I think something that's so important to keep in mind is this concept of happier because sometimes we set goals or dreams or we're trying to achieve something where we're like once we do this it's going to make me happy and that is so much pressure to put on anything ever and the more pressure you put on it the more your subconscious is going to be like ugh, so much risk involved so much pressure let's just not and it's going to sabotage it don't put so much pressure on each of your goals and dreams and plans that you're like once I do this I'm going to be happy set it with the goal of like I want this to make me happier like I want to just keep reaching towards happiness as I achieve this I want to keep getting happier by the day it's a progression not a destination right so I want you to keep that in mind because um, in this book, Brianna talks about it as happy, but I think it's really important to shift that narrative into like wanting to become a happier human rather than obtain this state of happy because that's just, it's, 
silly. Like no one's life is perfect enough to just reach some point where they're just happy. We just want to keep getting happier and happier. It's a progression, which is amazing because that means the limit does not exist. So, okay, now now back into article 10 by Brianna. Breaking your upper limit and how people hold themselves back from real happiness. Um, People are programmed, this is me reading, people are programmed to chase their foremost desire at almost any cost. Imagine the adrenaline-fueled superhuman powers that people develop in life-or-death emergencies. It's just a matter of what the foremost desire is, and often enough, it's comfort or familiarity. So, there are many reasons people thwart the feeling of happiness, but a lot of them have nothing to do with assuming it means giving up on achieving more. No one wants to believe that happiness is a choice because that puts the responsibility back in their hands. It's the same reason people self-pity to delay action, to make an outcry to the universe, as though the more they state how bad things are, the more likely it is that someone else will change them. Happiness is not a rush of positive emotions elicited by random events that affirm the way you think something should go, not sustainable happiness anyway, the real stuff is the product of an intentional, mindful, daily practice, and it begins with choosing to commit to it. Okay, this is the most important part because this is where self-sabotage comes in. Everyone has a happiness tolerance, an upper limit, as Gay Hendricks coins it. It is the capacity for which we allow ourselves to feel good. Other psychologists call it the baseline, the amount of happiness we naturally feel and eventually revert back to, even if certain events or circumstances shift us temporarily. So this goes back to comfort. We have this baseline of what we are willing to sustain and what we are subconsciously comfortable with. And that is why so often we will sabotage ourselves into coming back to the baseline because it just feels unsustainable to operate above it as well as below it, right? Like if we're extremely unhappy, we're prepared to make changes. We're prepared to get back to that baseline. But we do the same thing when things are also too good. We get freaked out and we want to go back to the baseline. So back to Brianna, she says, the reason we don't allow those shifts to become baselines is because of the upper limit. As soon as our circumstances extend beyond the amount of happiness we're accustomed to and comfortable feeling, we unconsciously begin to self-sabotage. We are programmed as human beings to seek what we have known. So even though we think we're after happiness, we're actually trying to find whatever we're most accustomed to. And we project that onto whatever actually exists over and over again. These are just a few of many psychological logical impediments that hold us back from the emotional lives we claim to want so i think a great example of this is romantic relationships right have you guys heard the phrase that is the universe will send you the same lesson in different bodies and until you choose to learn it or we've all talked about how we choose the same type of partners over and over again and why do we do that It's not because we're unlucky. It's because we're comfortable with it, you guys. And so one of the most powerful tools that I have found with my self-sabotage is by analyzing my own behavior and being like, where am I making decisions that are bringing repeated things into my life that I'm not enjoying? So like if there are things in my life where I'm like, I don't get why this is always happening to me. I don't get why this is repeating. I don't get why my business isn't growing. I don't get why I'm dating the same type of people, like whatever it is that you say to yourself if it's happening repeatedly I like to look at that behavior and instead of acting like it's an outside force doing that to me I'm like how have I gotten into this situation repeatedly right um I see this again a lot in dating where I'm like I will tolerate 
similar types of behavior from all of my partners. And then when I'm like, I don't get why this keeps happening to me, instead I shift the narrative to, okay, why have I been allowing this type of behavior? Like, why have I been engaging in this type of behavior and allowing it to occur within my relationships? Why am I tolerating it? Like, why am I tolerating it repeatedly? Because I shouldn't be tolerating it, right? And it can be the same thing with your business. If you're having a really hard time getting it to move forward and you're like, I just don't get it. The universe is out to get me. Nothing's working. Instead of doing that and putting the responsibility on an outside source, think to yourself, okay, What have I been engaging in repeatedly hoping to get a different result even though I'm doing the exact same thing? Because that's self-sabotage, right? Is when we keep doing the same thing we've always done, but we're kind of wanting a different result or we're refusing to do the thing that will get us the different result. That is when we start self-sabotaging. So, okay, now we are going to dive into these, I think there's maybe 10. I think there's 10 different points um, that Brianna goes through in regards to self-sabotage and holding us back from the lives that we really want. So number one is that everyone has a limited tolerance for feeling good. When things go beyond that limit, we sabotage ourselves so we can return to our comfort zones. The tired cliche of stepping outside them serves a crucial purpose. It makes people comfortable with discomfort, which is the gateway to expanding their tolerance for happiness. So I have noticed I do this thing (laughs) and this is easily one of the most obvious self-sabotage things I do and I literally had to come to Jesus like two days ago where I was like what are we doing where if I wake up you know the days where you just wake up and you're just blissed out you're like so happy for no reason that was me yesterday I woke up it was 70 degrees it's been freezing here in New York City I was so blissed out I was like oh my gosh I live in New York I'm literally like skipping around with my airpods in walking Cora like I'm so happy and I was thinking about how happy I was to be so happy and then I was like shit I know this isn't gonna last forever and I know this is probably only gonna last today and then it's gonna be freezing tomorrow and then I'm gonna be sad and I literally started to get stressed out about how the happiness wasn't gonna last long enough and then immediately just got stressed and that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard and I feel like I had to have this moment with myself where I was like okay are we really going to sabotage the current happiness and appreciation for life that we are feeling right now out of fear that it's not going to last as good as we want it to or as long as we want it to and spoiler alert it's not going to last as long as we want it to and now it's going to last even a shorter amount of time because we're stressing about it and so that was one of the most obvious like examples to me of like oh wow I really like am not comfortable with being this blissed out because I found a way to stress immediately and so I had to have this moment where I was like okay we're gonna put that aside because it's not gonna change anything and let's actually just feel what this happiness and blissed out state feels like in my body and so instead of analyzing it in my head what it was like to feel that happy I tried to actually feel it in my body and what sensations arose there so that was super helpful okay moving on to number two there is a likability limit that people like to remain under everyone has a certain level of success that they perceive to be admirable and unthreatening to others this is a big one with work you guys most things people do are in an effort to earn quote love Many desires, dreams, and ambitions are built 
out of a space of severe lack. It is for this reason that some of the most emotionally dense people are also the most successful. They use their desire for acceptance, love, wholeness as fuel for better and for worse. The point is, once people surpass the point at which they think people will judge and ridicule them for their success as opposed to praise them for it, they promptly cut themselves off or at minimum severely downplay slash minimize it so that they can keep themselves in good standing with those whom they desire for approval. It's ultimately not that people value ego and material over love, but that they think those things will earn them love. Okay, let's unpack this because this is something that is so huge in any self-sabotage that you will probably end up engaging in in your business, right? So we all talk about how we want to earn more money. We want to progress our businesses. We want to be bigger, better, more profitable, all of the things. But then we also at the same time engage in such a negative narrative about people who earn a lot of money, right? I'm sure you've said it or done it before where we talk about super rich people like they're slimy, schemy, gross. And even though I have changed my money story enough that like I don't think of rich people as gross, I still even sometimes catch myself getting a little judgy with really rich people because I'm like, well, how'd you get like it it just like my money story just seeps into my brain. And here's the thing. Unless you have completely unpacked every ounce of you that like every little cell that might even somewhat think negatively about rich people, it is going to sabotage your ability to earn money because subconsciously your brain is like, we don't want to be that rich because then we're bad. And so we have this likability moment, right? Where like when people have earned like a really good amount of money, we're like really proud of them. But if they cross this threshold and granted the threshold is different for everyone. I don't know what your literal limit is, but in society, there's like a general one where we start thinking of them as flashy or gross or a little bit icky. And it's, it's so odd that we all want to earn more money, but then we we get to this point where we're like, well, you've earned too much. And you have to unpack this and decide what it is that is keeping you that small. Is it jealousy? Is it that you envy these people's ability to do that? Is it that you wish that was you, right? I've basically just described jealousy in 18 different ways, but you have to unpack what that is. Are you scared that you don't have the ability to make that much money, right? Like there's a whole bunch of things that it might be, but you need to unpack the way that you think of really, really wealthy people because if there is a negative connotation with them at all, you are going to self-sabotage your financial growth significantly because your subconscious not only wants to stay comfy, but it's like, hello, why would we want to be bad? Like, why would we want to be icky? No, thank you. So, that is something we majorly have to unpack is your money story and how you think about people who are really wealthy because you should be changing the narrative now when I see people and granted like I slip up sometimes obviously but one of the biggest things for me is to look at other people in the industry that either do stuff like I do or different whatever and instead of seeing their success and being like shit like why is that not me I'm like oh my gosh that is so cool that that is possible for an entrepreneur and I want that to be me I want to do the exact same thing I want to be in that place one day. And that's so cool that they've done it and they've shattered that ceiling and now we can go even higher, right? So try to shift that narrative on how you think of people who are more quote unquote successful or richer than you, because if there's a negative connotation that is severely going to sabotage you. Okay. Three, most prefer the comfort of what they've known to vulnerability of what they don't. Even when what they don't is objectively much better, if we redefine happiness in terms of what human beings innately desire, 
comfort, inclusiveness, a sense of purpose, etc. We can then make the choice to seek comfort from things that are ultimately aligned with what we want to achieve. So we don't even have to dive into this one that much, but it's that, you know, things when things are uncomfortable, it's vulnerable. And even if it's better, we like staying comfy. And so we have to we have to make that distinction. Four. Many people are afraid that being happy equals giving up on achieving more. Happiness is, in an essential form, acceptance. It's arriving at the end goal, passing the finish line, letting the wave of accomplishment wash over you. Deciding to be that way every day can make it seem as though the race is already over, so we subconsciously associate happiness and acceptance with giving up. But the opposite is true. The path to a greater life is not suffering until you achieve something, but letting bits and pieces of joy and gratitude and meaning and purpose gradually build bit by bit okay this is one of my favorite ones because I know you guys know we talk about this all the time that happy and hard can coexist at all times and so it is ridiculous for us to just suffer our way to the finish line and then we'll get there and not even enjoy it because we were so hyper focused on just an achievement and instead of actually just appreciating the good regardless of the if we've quote unquote made it yet if there's other bad things going on being happy is not some giving up on achieving more it's not some final destination it is something that we have to do along the journey by appreciating things as they are now okay five people delay action once they know truth and in in the interim between knowing and doing is the space where suffering thrives most of the time it's not about knowing what to do or knowing not knowing who you are it's about the resistance between what's right and what is easy what's best in the long term versus short term We hear instincts, we just don't listen. This is the single most common root of discomfort, the space between knowing and doing. We're culturally addicted to procrastination, but we're also just as enamored by deflection. By not acting immediately, we think we're creating space for truth to shift when we're really only creating discomfort so that we can sense it more completely, though we're suffering needlessly in the process. Okay. There is genuinely this point where we know what we need to do and that space between knowing it and taking the action is so uncomfortable and that really is where self-sabotage will kick in the most because you know what you need to do, right? You sink into that knowing as Glennon talks about and you're like, I know I need to do this, but your self-sabotage is going to be like, but what if we don't? Like, what if we don't? What if we don't act immediately and we just kind of don't deal with that uncomfort like discomfort like and that is a such a specific form of suffering you guys that is just unnecessary and so mastering the art of knowing and then doing or at least coming up with a plan to do as soon as possible is so crucial so that you don't have time to sit in that space forever self-sabotaging yourself Okay, six, people believe that apathy is safety. We're all afraid of losing the pieces and people that make up our lives. Some people try to cut ahead of the pain curve and don't let themselves feel as though they wanted or liked those things in the first place. The undercurrent here is the sense that everything ends and all is impermanent. And while those things are more or less true, there's something just slightly truer and that is that death gives life meaning. It is the fact that we can lose what we have that makes it sacred and precious and wonderful. It's not about what pain you suffer. It's about what you suffer for. You can choose to cut yourself off from feeling good so as to buffer the sense of loss and suffer from numbness, or you can have an incredible life and mourn wildly when it's over, but at least there were means to the end. I love this one, you guys, specifically for personal reasons, more or less, like, less businessy reasons but 
this has been something really beautiful that I've been trying. This whole principle has been something I've been trying to enact in my life, both with romantic and platonic relationships, because we've all had friend breakups that are just as hard as romantic breakups. Um, we've had romantic breakups that are horrible, right? And I, much like everyone, when something does not go right or there is a breakup of some sort, we try to look for everything that was wrong to justify the fact that it's ended and be like, yeah, this was supposed to end. Like, that was horrible or like justify the pain that we're feeling. And one of the things that I've been trying to enact is just being like, you know what? Any pain that I feel currently does not negate the fact that happiness had existed beforehand. And I would rather mourn wildly, as Brianna says, when it's over, rather than never feel any of that. And I know we kind of talked about this like on the catch up episode, like after my breakup, I so badly wanted to like be mad about all the things that were bad and granted that has existed at times but I was like you know what at the end of the day I shared really incredibly beautiful moments with a human being and I'm so grateful I got to do that and despite the outcome despite everything that happened that does not go back in time and change those moments so we don't need to be apathetic to joy that we have felt or things that we have felt in order to justify harder emotions that we're feeling now we don't have to cut ourselves off from the good in order to lessen the bad. We can just feel both very, very deeply. And that is very, very beautiful. Okay, seven. Few know how to practice feeling good or why it's necessary. It is almost essential to raising your upper limit, augment, aug, augmenting, you guys, augmenting your baseline and ultimately assimilating. Wow, she's pulling out some big words that I haven't said in a long time. Assimilating to the new chapters of your life without destroying them out of unfamiliarity. Practicing feeling good is simply taking a moment to literally let yourself feel. Extend that rush just a few seconds longer, meditate on some things you're grateful for, and let it wash over you as much as possible. Seek what's positive and you'll find that your threshold of feeling it expands as you decide it can. This is something that I've been trying to do really hard when I do get those waves of just straight serotonin, right? Like yesterday walking around in the warmth or like I do it on the subway all the time because I always feel so surreal about the fact that I live here when I'm on the public transportation. Um, But to really just sit in it and to like be like, I'm I cannot believe this is happening. I'm so grateful. I love this so much. And instead of analyzing it again in our brains, actually noticing how it feels in my body and where I feel it and what extremity um like that is so important to try to physically feel the emotion rather than hyperanalyze it because that is something I do all the time both with positive and negative emotions and it takes me out of the present moment like I'm not even really experiencing it because I'm just hyperanalyzing it and so I've been trying really hard to just physically experience it rather than experience it in my brain which I know that there's a better word for saying that that isn't physically mentally I don't know whatever okay eight people think happiness is an emotional response facilitated by a set of circumstances as opposed to a choice and a shift of perception slash awareness it seems that people who are steadfast in their belief that circumstances create happiness are not to be swayed and that makes sense it's for the same reason that we buy into it so much it's easier It's the way to cut corners on your emotional life. It's seemingly logical and fairly easy to attain. So why not stand by it fiercely? Because it's ultimately false. It maintains that you must wait to feel happy, as we know, unless you are cultivating your baseline to be all around higher. You'll spend the rest of your life bopping around from one perceived high to another. 
Some of the statistically happiest countries in the world are nearly impoverished. Some of the most notable and peaceful individuals to grace Earth died with only a few cents to their name. The commonality is a sense of purpose, belonging, and love. Things you can choose to feel and cultivate regardless of physical slash material circumstance. I would like to add a caveat to this, which is that if you are in an unsafe or abusive situation, this does not apply. Okay? I would like to, I literally cannot reiterate that enough that there are circumstances where you cannot choose happiness and I do not want you to stay in a situation you shouldn't because you think something is wrong with you and you're not choosing happiness. Okay, back to this. Happiness is a choice. Becoming happier and happier is a choice. And this is another way that self-sabotage comes into play, right? Because we're just constantly striving for more, more, more. And that's a form of self-sabotage, honestly. Like every time I feel not great and I go online shopping to the extremes, that's honestly kind of a form of self-sabotage because instead of just sitting with it and learning how to be really still and grateful for what I'm experiencing in the present moment, I'm looking for outside things to bring in that serotonin for me, right? That's a form of self-sabotage. And so it's really important that we shift this perception onto being grateful for what is currently existing. That doesn't mean we can't work to change things, but if we put our happiness on some future goal or future possession or future experience, we're never going to get there. We've got to find these little ways. Again, that's like putting happy as the goal rather than happier. You can become happier today by appreciating life as is. I have a little reminder that pops up on my phone every morning that just says acknowledge life as it is right now and be grateful. So I'll like wake up and I'll think about like on paper what my life is like right now and show gratitude for the aspects of how it is right now without the implications of how I want it to be or what we're working towards whatever it's how it is presently right now in this moment because that's literally all that exists okay nine most people don't know that it's possible to shift their baseline since it's always framed in a way of being quote how one naturally is if I've heard it once I've heard it a thousand times the woman with anxiety who says it's just the way I am the man with a dozen irrational fears who attributes them to his person personality the thing that had the, the thing is that nothing has to be an essential part of you unless you decide it is least of all anxiety and fear in fact those things are never essentially part of who someone is they're learned behaviors or again um they can be mental illnesses obviously i would like to add that they are ego reactions that go unchecked they are flashing lights and waving flags from our innermost selves that something is not right but we're avoiding making the shift mostly by deflecting on the circumstance being out of our control so this is something I did for a really long time, and I think we have maybe briefly talked about it on the podcast, but it's this concept, I literally think it might have been a TikTok video I saw, where they were like, what parts of your personality have you brought as like your sense, of, like that you consider your sense of self just because people told you that for so long? Um, I have always been a very private person. I have not really shared my emotions much. I keep them to myself slash don't feel them at all. That is kind of how I've lived my entire life. And so because of that, as a kid, people would be like, oh, you're so strong. You're so mature. Anytime going through a hard thing, people will be like, oh, you're so strong. You're like, who would have known? You're handling it so well. And I had heard that since I was a kid. And I had been hearing it for so long that I kind of was like, okay, so this is me. Like my thing is that I handle hard times well and I don't let anyone know I'm suffering. So I'll continue to do so. And I don't even know if that's naturally how I am 
or if that is just something I've adapted because I was told it for so long that I'm like, well, it's too late now. We're not going to change that. Like, I don't want people to think I'm overly emotional. I don't want them to think I need help. That's something I'm working through a lot is letting people know I need help. I'm learning how to ask people for favors, which has been the hardest thing of my entire life. So um, this is how we can this is kind of almost how we self-sabotage ourselves is just by clinging on to these things that are just our personality. They're just the way that I am, right? When in reality, we can take a look at those things, right? Maybe there is a part of your personality where you're like, yeah, that's just the way I am. And you're like, but I don't like it. Like, I don't like that that's just the way I am. Like, I don't like that I can't ask people for favors ever. It's not my favorite thing. But that's me self-sabotaging myself is just by chalking it up to being a personality trait when in reality, I can take a good, long, hard look at it and be like, okay, this is a behavior that I've clearly engaged in in a long time. It's become an identifying factor for me. How do we change that, right? And the more I change that, the more I can change this baseline for happiness because truly I probably would be a little happier if I'd let people help me. Like that's a fact. Um, And so I want you to take a look at these personality traits or whatever it is that you kind of chalked up to just being who you are and figure out how to change them because we can. Nothing is permanent in our personality. Absolutely nothing. Okay. 10. People believe that suffering makes them worthy. Oh, there's 12, you guys. Might be. So we got a few more. To have wonderful things in our lives without having suffered for them somehow translates to us feeling as though we haven't truly earned them and therefore they are not completely ours. On the flip side, the idea that beautiful, joyous things could simply be ours without any conscious creation of them on our, our own part is terrifying because the opposite could just as well be true. Um, we don't even, I feel like, have to unpack that one as much, which is just that we love as human. We do. Honestly, all humans kind of love being the martyr a little bit. We love suffering for what's good. Sometimes we feel like we need to suffer more than we actually do. This is a huge form of self-sabotage is to be like, well, I don't know if I deserve that thing yet. Like, I don't know if I've earned that thing yet. I know I've done that where I'm like, um, do I deserve to meet that goal? Probably not. Like, am I even a good enough person? And like, granted, it's not like that's the dialogue I'm having in my head, but subconsciously I'm like, do I even deserve that? And that's going to self-sabotage me to hell. That's going to completely keep me away from it. I shouldn't, you shouldn't have to feel like you have to earn good things happening for you. You have to shift that narrative. Okay. 11. Many people believe they can beat fear to the finish line. Worry is the Western cultural pastime, and it's ultimately a deflection from the fact that we buoy between extremes, not caring about anything or caring so much about one thing that it could break us all together. Worrying conditions us to the worst possible outcomes so they don't cause as much pain if they come to pass. We're thinking through every irrational possibility so we can account for it, prepare for it before it surprises us. I love doing this. I do this so much, you guys. It's honestly a joke. We try to imagine every bad thing a person could say about us so they're not the first to do it, but this does not change anything. You still won't expect difficult things to arise. You will never know what people are really thinking or how often. You will not be able to prepare to cope with their irrational fears because there's no basis in reality you could possibly get ready to deal with you cannot beat fear to the finish line you are not cheating your way around pain you're actively pursuing more and more of it this is a oof, a habit I have had to try so hard to break because I love knowing worst case scenario I will walk through every possible situation that could arise literally ever about everything like my brain works on overdrive to try to prepare me for every possible thing that could possibly happen and it bites me in the ass every time and you know what very rarely do those things even happen or they happen differently or they don't happen at all whatever but I have wasted so much time so much happiness so much peace stressing about a reality that simply does not exist that is what worrying is it is literally stressing about a reality that does 
not exist, not even a little bit. And so you cannot beat fear to the finish line. You're literally not going to prepare for it. That's just, it's, you just can't. Okay. 12 and last, happy people are often perceived as being naive and vulnerable. If nothing else, happy people are stigmatized as being clueless and ill-informed and delusionally positive and disconnected from reality. But the only people who perceive them that way are people who do everything in their power to justify the negativity in their lives. They feel they cannot control. It is people who don't choose a better life that are naive and truly vulnerable. As happy people may lose everything they have, but people who never choose to fully step into their lives never have anything at all. All right, that is the end of that little article. So lots to discuss because (laughs) we obviously originally started this episode with the idea of self-sabotage. We talked a lot about happiness, but I do genuinely think those two things go hand in hand. We want this idea of happiness so badly, but when we can unpack it and take it down a little and make it a little less pressured and we can just be like I just want to be happier what's something that could make me happier will this lead to more happiness we're able to take the pressure off of that and when the pressure is gone we're able to hack the self-sabotage a little bit more there's obviously so many different things that lead into self-sabotage so many ways to do it so many ways it shows up but analyzing your own behavior and just realizing when you're doing these things and how that shows up for you is one of the most key parts in starting to unpack your self-sabotage. If you can just figure out how and when you're doing it and what the signs of it are, right? Again, I think one of the biggest tells is if you are in repeated situations that you don't enjoy, you're probably self-sabotaging something there. I think that that is the easiest way to diagnose, to find, to pinpoint what it is that you're doing that's self-sabotage because it might be showing up in a variety of ways. You might be doing it in a variety of different behaviors, right? Like there's so much that's going to go into it. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not going to diagnose you all this podcast episode, but I do think that is one of the easiest hacks is to see in your life where you're going into repeated situations that you don't enjoy and then thinking, okay, how have I ended up in this situation, right? Like that's one of my big things that I had to do with dating where I was like, how do I keep getting treated in this one specific way that I really don't enjoy? And then I was like, hold on. I don't know if I think I deserve any better, which is dark. Hello, you guys just got deep inside into my therapy. But I'm like, I don't think I deserve much better than that, like, which sounds depressing, but I just don't. And so that's what I need to work on because I'm clearly sabotaging myself by thinking that that's my baseline, that like that is the baseline of what I deserve in relationships. And so it's super comfortable. And now when I date people and I even see those types of behaviors in little baby ways, I'm like, absolutely not. No, I'm not going to tolerate that even a little bit, not even in a little way, because that's going to lead to a big way, right? And it's the same thing in our business. If we're doing the same thing over and over again, and we're not enjoying it, we're not seeing the results that we want, then think to yourself like, okay, am I self-sabotaging myself by just doing this repeatedly because it's comfortable? Like, why am I doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result? That's not the way it works. You have to try something new. You have to try something new. So, Take a look at your life. Take a look at your personal traits. Take a look at your business. Look at where you're repeating things and look at where you might be self-sabotaging and then think about why, right? Because everything in life comes down to the emotions behind it. We set goals because we want to feel a certain way. We do things because we want to feel a certain way and try to figure out what the feeling is that you're trying to obtain by self-sabotaging this and then figure out it's probably comfort, just a heads up. It's probably just that you want to be comfortable and then figure out how you can be comfortable being uncomfortable 
uncomfortable because that is the keyest thing with self-sabotage is that you have to decide and figure out and, you know, make a conscious effort to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're not comfortable with discomfort, you're not going to make any progress and you're just going to keep sabotaging yourself forever. That's that's basically the whole thing. So, wow, you guys, that is the whole thing. This might actually be one of the longer podcasts we've recorded in a while. But if you guys haven't, we have that book, Brianna Weist, wow, um, The 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think. It is a phenomenal book. It covers such a wide variety of subjects. We're actually going to do another episode on one of the chapters soon. Um, but if you don't have it, I'll link my Amazon shop for you guys because it is a phenomenal book. I highly suggest getting it. Same with Happier, which we um, mentioned a little bit as well. All of the books that we kind of have on our book list is in the Amazon front. So, If you guys have any questions, please let me know. This is the week that we are kicking self-sabotage to the curb. It is a journey. You're not going to do it in one day. You got to keep going. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep going to therapy. You got to keep listening to the podcast. All of that good stuff. But I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Again, the links for all the Black Friday things are in the the show notes. If you guys have any questions on that, please feel free to let me know. That will be going till the end of the week. And I love you guys. I mean it. I'm so grateful for you. Happy Thanksgiving. And I will talk to you soon.